The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. How did people respond to episode 2, 13 GM Rules, aired back on January the 2nd? Which rules did folk pick up on, and what got rejected? And did anything ring true to anyone else? Let's find out. Hello, Rescuers. I'm Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering our lost role-playing hobby. Today is the first official call-in episode of Season 8, by which I mean an episode constructed around audio messages sent in from loyal listeners. Yes, some of the bonus episodes are call-in focused, but this is an official Saturday show, and it's the first one of Season 8 filled with messages. Some people don't like call-in shows. I love them. The perspectives of the community are hugely helpful to me personally and, I believe by extension, helpful to other listeners. I guess that, at heart, I'm a pluralist when it comes to my role-playing hobby. I believe that all players and GMs have something they can share. That is probably the 15th rule that I have presented so far, by the way. In episode 2, I wanted to explore the rules that I have over a lifetime of gaming and role-playing constructed around the concept of being the Game Master. As I stated at the beginning of that episode, these rules are all open to challenge and, in fact, are already undergoing challenge. My purpose has been to rock the foundations of these GM rules and share with you the journey into finding some that are more helpful. The call-ins I have received have been immensely helpful in doing just that. Thank you to everyone who has called in about one or more of the rules. In fact, thank you to everyone who sent me a message via social media too. I'm going to work through them one by one, as much as the messages kind of allow, and present the comments on each rule in turn. I will probably dive in and comment on some of the ideas shared, but I am not going to script those, so anything I do say from now on is completely off the cuff. This is Season 8, Episode 6, Unpicking Webster's GM Rules. H.A. Jason here. I'm going to give you some general thoughts about 802, 13 GM Rules. 12 is related to 2, 7, 11 are related to 3, 9 is related to 10. I outright reject 2, 3, 7, 9, 11, 13. I fully agree with 5, 8, and 10. Partially agree with 1, 4, 6, and 12. 1, I do think games should be a positive experience. I don't think they all have to be enlightening. 4, I think if the players sign on to play a pre-designated adventure, there's no issue with it. 6, I think GM should be able to improvise to address player choices, but it's okay to say, hey, I'm not ready for that right now, let's take a five-minute break, or even, hey, let's end the session and pick that up next time. 12, I agree many players have that expectation, but I think it should be established in session zero and discussed. 
to me, players should be challenged and have a chance to win, but if they make poor decisions, the GM shouldn't have to change the rules to let them win. Sorry about, I, I had to get that off my chest. You can use this if you want to. Don't feel obligated to. Talk to you soon. Um, okay. Moving swiftly on. Hey, Chay. Well, you certainly know how to provoke a response. Um, do I have a problem with a rule in particular? No, I have a problem with them all. Um, certainly a problem with a couple of them that appear to create a situation where you want to know what the players are doing in advance so you can prepare material, yet there's no obligation for them to engage with that prepared material. I'd re- remove anything that contained the word should. In fact, I'd get rid of all the rules The rules are the business of the system and the less rules there are in the system, the happier I am. Um, I'd replace rules with a question. Does this work for me? Or more specifically, what will allow me to create an experience that I am happy to be a part of? Thanks for the episode. Take care, man. Thank you, Spencer. And in truth, this call-in was the first I received, and it also was the one that confused me absolutely the most. I actually reached out to Spencer and tried to clarify, and uh, he did bring another call, which I'll probably share later. But I have to be honest, and in hindsight, I realise this as other people have called in as well. The use of the word rule, or rules, seems to have caused quite a bit of confusion. You heard Spencer there reject the idea of all rules and then state that the rules are the purview or the you know the possession of the game system and that's when the penny dropped for me i'm talking about cognitive rules and to that end i think it would be best if i just quoted something from a book on cognitive behavioral therapy which inspired the entire episode episode two in the first place and so here goes with a quick quote well i say quick Extract from Chapter 7 of Overcoming Worry and Generalized Anxiety Disorder, 2nd edition, by Kevin Mears and Mark Freeston. Quote, It seems that our emotional well-being is based on beliefs or rules that are held firmly enough to give a consistent sense of who we are. Yet, at the same time, these rules and beliefs need to be fluid enough to enable us to adapt to new experiences. If you think about it, even so-called hard and rigid things like bridges and tall buildings move, flex and bend to wind and loads. Without this ability, they would soon break and fracture. When people have psychological problems, often this flexibility is lost and their rules have become stuck and rigid. Our feelings can be considered to act like resin or concrete, setting the rules in place and making them harder to change. In this state, they are extreme and absolute, with no shades of grey. We can see these qualities reflected in the words used to make up the rules. For example, I must always worry to solve my problems. I should never make a decision without checking it. Or, if I can't predict what will happen, I'll never be able to cope. If we think about these rules, would you consider them to be rules that everyone should hold? If not, why not? You may consider them to be unhelpful or extreme. You may also consider them to go beyond what is considered to be common sense. 
We each have a unique rulebook, which is a set of beliefs that guide our actions and help us to make sense of the world around us. If a Martian landed in your street tomorrow, using your rulebook, he or she should be able to understand more about your world. The rulebook helps us to make sense of the world because the rules are essentially predictions about what will happen next. For instance, if I smile, then others will smile back. If I hit my thumb, then it will hurt. If I eat, then I won't be hungry. And so on. When we look at how people act, we can begin to work out what rules might be influencing their actions. Usually, we are unaware of these rules, but with a little attention and thought, we can work them out. The first way to spot them is to become curious about what you or others do or don't do in a given situation. Our aim in this chapter is to reveal your worry rulebook. End quote. And that's where I was coming from. Essentially, I was trying to unpick the behaviours and try to get behind those to what my rule book was when it came to GMing. In other words, what I believed was true about being a GM. And I presented that in episode two as my 13 Game Master rules, and which, although later on was pointed out to me, I think by Jason Connolly, that are actually are 14 in the episode because there's an extra one I introduced replying to a call-in. Anyway, the point is, these were the cognitive rules that were sort of surrounding my GMing of role-playing games as I understood them back on the 2nd of January. And so while your call, Spencer, was great and I really appreciated it and it absolutely exposed how I'd not fully explained and properly explained what I was trying to do, I do want everybody here to try and kind of come into the spirit of this. When I say rules, what I really mean is, as is stated in the book by Mears and Freeston, what I mean is rules equal beliefs. And these were the beliefs that I held and I have to say, past tense, held about GMing. And with that in mind, let's dive into some more call-ins. Hi, Che. It's Barney from Loco Ludus. I'm calling about your 13 GMing rules. You, you said that, you, that, that, that ambiguity troubles you. I have to say that I feel that you're being a little bit ambiguous about your 13 rules because the impression I got with these is that those 13 rules are your old rules. They're the rules that you have historically gone by and that you might change. There's my telephone. Sorry about that, Che. So... My understanding is that you've that you've given us your thirteen old rules and that you are potentially looking to change them. Now that means that they're potentially not the rules you you now pin your mast to, huh? <laughs> They're not the principles, or you're questioning those principles. I want to hear, however provisional, I want to hear the manifesto that you have now. Not so that I can pick it apart and, you know, critique it afterwards. No. To have a meaningful exchange with you, 
about where where your thinking actually is now so not where it was before does that make sense so that's all i'm going to say about that barney there from loco ludus thank you barney for calling in and yeah i've edited that quite a bit barney sent in two big chunks of feedback a part of uh, the first part of that i actually shared in a bonus episode just a little while ago and the next bit I'm going to sort of save up because he comes in with another tip that isn't directly related to the rules, but which, you know, I'm going to share. But yeah, absolutely, Barney, as I think I've already sort of commented on in this episode so far, these were the cognitive rules in my mind about how I was GMing and past tense. So yeah, and you'll be pleased to know that episode um, 807, episode 7 of this series is going to be, well, presenting the very first principle of my manifesto for GMing because... Actually, having all these weeks to ruminate and think about this feedback I've had from all these wonderful people, I do actually begin to have a direction. So watch out for next episode, I guess, Barney, and I hope that'll keep you quiet. So I guess we better listen to the rest of what Barney had to say, and then we'll dive on into some of the specific rules. What you got, Barney? The last thing is the impression I get from listening to those episodes. The impression I get... Or the, the, if you like, the tip that springs to my mind after listening to those episodes is that I think you should stop GMing for, if you like, the foreseeable. Don't put a time limit on it. And... And I know you play, I know you play as well as GM, but the thought that occurs to me is take GMing off the table completely and give yourself the experiment of becoming the player that you want to serve as a GM. I think I think that would be really potentially very valuable. I think I probably GM and play about 50-50. And I feel that that I like that. That I feel comfortable about that. And I think for people who really want to GM and are a bit reluctant to play, I think there's something interesting there. And again, I know that you do play, so I'm not uh, I'm not suggesting that at all. But, you know, Andy, for example, is definitely someone who who prefers to GM than rather than be a player and he's a great player so there's there's lots to be had from that anyway those are my thoughts take care bye bye so Barney thank you I didn't know what to quite make of that one really actually I think I pitched it out in the RPR discord uh, this idea of not GMing for the foreseeable and I don't know, the feeling that I got from a lot of people was that would be a very great shame. And the second thing is that for me, in in my heart, honestly, I didn't want to do that. I fear too much that if I stop, I will not start again. 
But that aside, I kind of take your point that actually going and being a player and trying to become the player that I most want to serve, that that's a really interesting phrase in itself, the idea that a GM is there to serve a player. But anyway, yeah, th- that's not a bad idea. And so I am investing in playing. And in fact, um going to take part in two or three games in the coming weeks. So thank you for that tip. I think that I'm not going to stop GMing, but I am going to play a little bit more actively. And I'm going to think about what it means to be a player alongside what it means to be a GM. And so my manifesto is going to be coming in two parts. Um, Well, it's going to be multiple parts probably, but what I mean is two big sections, a section for the GM and, you know, a section on being a player. As to whether it's a suspicious thing to only want to be a GM, Well, while I do play, I've always preferred to be the GM, and I'm kind of with Andy Goodman on that. I I get a lot of uh, reward from that, or at least I did when I didn't let it bog me down. Anyway, thank you for your thoughts as ever, Barney, especially by the crackling fire on a quiet winter's night, as you did there. Game on, man. Hey Che, thank you very much for your response and a happy new year to you and Deb too. Um, Let's hope it's a better one. I'm not saying I don't agree with the sentiment of that first rule. I just question whether it needs to be a rule. I mean, are we not all there to engage in an experience that we're all hoping to enjoy? Um, And I guess there's that, the word should in there which um is something that is kind of a flag for me um i mean is it your responsibility to ensure that everyone has a positive experience i mean you don't really have any control over how the players feel about the game and i'm wondering if that is something you don't need to uh, burden yourself with And so Spencer again, thank you, dude, for calling in on that one. And he's referring to rule one and rule two of the 13 GM rules. And I think at this point, I better actually restate them, hadn't I? So that we all know what we're talking about. So rule one is playing games should be a positive and enlightening experience for everyone at the table. And rule two was it's the game master's responsibility to make sure the players are having a good time. And this is where a couple of callers had something to say about rule two. Hi, Chance Barry here. Just to start talking about some of your rules that you've put up. So your 13 rules um, for GM rules. I think the first one is less of a challenge and more of kind of um, an understanding. Rule two, that it's a game's master responsibility to make sure the players are having a good time. I kind of really feel your pain on this one. This is the one where I probably get the biggest anxiety when I am running games. Now, fortunately, it never it doesn't stop me. 99% of the time to sometimes but that that's my worry that I'm going to get to the end of a session and the players are secretly are not going to tell me sorry this makes your feelings worse they're not going to tell me that actually it was a rubbish game session they're going to lie to me and say oh yeah it was really great it was brilliant when actually secretly thinking oh that was rubbish I'm not playing that again because I didn't help them to have fun now by the fact they come back every week I'm taking it implicitly that they are enjoying it unfortunately i do have some good players who will come and say oh yeah that was really brilliant i liked how you did this i like how you did that what i'd really love is for my players to give honest feedback about it be able to say what they liked and what they didn't like uh, and again it goes on something that came through coaching training within the nhs so i'd really like uh you know even if they could phrase it differently and say what would make it better is if you did blah de blah because what's and we talked about this before about some other stuff about language where 
as a GM, you put a lot of your heart and soul into running adventures and there's a lot of anxiety around the work you've put in and it not paying off because the players don't enjoy it. So what we don't want, I suspect, certainly from my own point of view, are the players saying it was crap, I didn't like it. Um, whereas if they said actually really enjoyed it, but it would have been really cool as if he'd allowed us to do that or, you know, maybe if this had happened or, you know, and so the, it's the whole thing about saying it would have been better if rather than I didn't like works better for me it's like you know it's really sounds pathetic and my wife would probably tell me that i'm being really challenged but you know it helps me understand that it's an improvement rather than saying i'm doing a bad job because you know and i try and do that when i speak to gms now as i say oh yeah it'd be really cool actually if we could do this next time or next time could we add this one because that might be quite fun rather than saying oh i didn't like blah blah this was rubbish that was rubbish because at the end of the day you're shooting someone down who's put a lot of effort into it and that's not very fair to a GM who's put a lot of work into it. And, you know, at the end of the day, we have all got these critical voices in the head, especially from critical parents, which I think we probably both had uh, quite a lot of share around some of the stuff. So it's like, so we don't want things to reinforce those critical views. So apologies if I ever do that to you, because I'm trying, trying not to, because in my mind, it's about exploring the games, the systems, the adventures, and finding ways to make it better for everyone, rather than necessarily saying, this is good, this is bad. I mean, you can say this is good, that's what's helpful, but not saying something's bad, but saying, actually, I'd find it more fun if next time we tried this instead. And I think that's the thing the players need to start doing. But it really cripples me, like I said, about the fact that I feel you pain on that one about it being a responsibility. And it's probably a false belief. Um, and like you, I tell myself this every time, but, you know, saying it logically to yourself and how you actually feel about it before the session are two very different things, that the players bring themselves to the games. And I think if you look at Christopher Rice's article about being a worthy player, that, you know, players do have a responsibility to get involved, to help bring the fun, to help things run smoothly. Unfortunately, I have got some good players like that. Larson, who played um, in the GURPS game we played, we're playing the Call of Cthulhu kind of version. He's really, really good in sessions if I say something about a rule and we're not sure, he will look it up for me and say, oh, it's on this page, it says that. And that is so amazingly helpful as a player. And, you know, I'd like to be like that as a player where I can do stuff because, you know, I don't want as a GM, and we'll talk about this rule in a minute, keep reading things uh, during the game and slow the pace of the game down. But with a player who wants to find out as well, and this is the good thing, if the players are exploring the game with you, talk about this one of your rules as well that it's really good if that kind of comes on board and then that helps us all have fun because we're all getting a bit of fun out of reading the rules learning the rules playing the game and i think that's the key about getting that kind of right mix there so i think it's wrong of us to say it's just just our responsibility as a gm i think you've got to have an awareness as a gm probably about whether your players are having fun but we probably put too much on ourselves and I'm as guilty as that as anybody else and i think we're all guilty of this of you know making it feel like it's just our responsibility um I think we need to pick up on when players aren't enjoying it and probably probe a bit into that and find out what we can do to make it more fun for them. But we do also have to accept that the other players are adults. And at the end of the day, they've got a tongue on their head, as my mum would always say, and they can say if they don't enjoy something. And it's not our job to constantly be eyeballing every single player and watching every little move and work out as every little thing we've done right or wrong for them. They've got a chance to give some sort of feedback. And I guess it's about how we allow them to give feedback to make sure they're having a good time. And again, I'll stop now before I start rambling because I've got more rambling to do in later questions. So yeah, again, hopefully that was useful to you and um, I should move on to one of the next questions now. Hey Jay, it's Weeb. Uh, just calling about your um, 13 Game Master rules. Uh, I had a really hard time digesting them. I felt, and as I'm sure you're aware, that they just felt 
wrong in some sense, and I don't mean that to get your anxiety up. But the one that really stuck out to me was about it's the game master's responsibility for the players to have fun. And in all not all, in all honesty, um, you know, you're there to provide the content and try to make it entertaining. But ultimately, it's the player's responsibility to uh, to to have fun or not. And I, I wonder where you got that from. Where does this idea that it's your job to make sure that everybody has fun come from? So. Take it easy, Che. Looking forward to talking to you later. So thank you to Barry and to Weeb, Jason Weeb. Uh, thank you very, very much for calling in, guys. I really appreciate those perspective. I wanted to specifically address Weeb's question at the end. You know, where on earth did I get the idea uh, for Rule 2, you know, that um, it's the Game Master's responsibility to make sure players are having a good time? Honestly, it comes from the players at my table. It comes from listening to countless people talk about crappy GMs and GMs they didn't enjoy and GMs who do such a bad job, with the implication being that absolutely it's on the GM to make sure you had a good time. I spent time at conventions and I've listened to people talk about how, you know, that game was crap, that GM was crap, and there doesn't seem to ever be uh, an acceptance from the player that they had anything to do with the poor experience they just had. And so, yeah. I internalized that and I think that's wrong I think that's an incorrect thing to internalize I think that Barry's right I think that Jason here is right that it's on everybody at the table if you want to have a good time if that's your goal then you have to bring the good time you have to play your part and I think in the episode I actually even made clear that this was very dubious in my mind even before I really uh, started to pick it apart this was very much kind of questioning but it's it's nice to have a couple of guys phone in about it and and give me that feedback and so I thank you for that I guess what I'm kind of trying to signal here is that the people around you are picking up on what you say Uh, as someone who is socially anxious I have to say it's really hard to read intention and I really liked what Barry said about giving feedback giving positive feedback certainly but also when you are dealing with you know sort of thinking about giving negative perhaps couching it as a suggestion for improvement uh, and even better if that goes right back to my teacher training that's something we do in a classroom you know there's what was really great and it'd be even better if that's a really lovely way of couching things it takes a lot of the confrontation out of the situation And it also helps the person internalize that this is a point for development, not a criticism of you as a human being. And yeah, I think that's a great place to press pause. I hope you are enjoying this episode of Roleplay Rescue. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. You can also find the Roleplay Rescue page on Facebook, Join our RPR group on MeWe or follow me at UbiquitousRat on Twitter. If you want to support the show, you can join the Roleplay Rescue Patreon and gain access to weekly Dungeon Masters Diary episodes and early access to every episode of the main show. Patrons also gain access to the Roleplay Rescue Discord. You can find the Patreon page at patreon.com slash rpgrescue. All the links mentioned here are in the show notes. Thanks in advance for your support. 
And so, so far we've managed to kind of cover two rules from the 13 and talk about the general kind of idea behind what I was trying to communicate back in episode two. Thank you so far to all of the guys whose calls I've shared. There are actually, I know, probably a good 15 or more calls to sort of deal with from a range of different people. And I don't want to waste them. So what I'm going to do is pull this episode to a close because I don't want to go over about half an hour. And there's going to be some future episodes. I've got the most calls probably around rule number three. The GM needs to know everything about the game system and the game world before play begins. That one has kind of got the biggest storm and probably needs to go next. Um, And there's also some stuff around Rule 7 that's related to Rule 3. So they make a sensible kind of pair. The other big rule that people wanted to challenge is Rule 12. And that's the players expect you to challenge them, but ultimately to let them win. Related to the idea of it's being wrong to kill the characters, which is Rule 13. But hey, this isn't the place to sort of dive into what everybody said. What I'm going to do is intersperse some episodes on these rules throughout the rest of the season. Can I go back on these calls? So if you have comments on any of the rules other than rule one and two, then there's still time. I'm open to hearing more thoughts and sort of putting them together into some future episodes, which is what I envision doing in the first place. But for now, I think that's kind of enough, isn't it? And that's another episode wrapped. I hope you enjoyed it. If you ever want to get in touch, ask questions or share your point of view, you can leave me a voice message. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for Roleplay Rescue and tap on the messages button to leave yours. Or alternatively, you can record your thoughts on your phone and email the sound file to me directly via hello at rpgrescue.com. Thanks to the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue. Thank you, all of you, for all of your generosity and encouragement. It means the world to me. Thanks also to you, the listener, for taking some time out of your day to listen to Roleplay Rescue. I hope it was worth something to someone out there somewhere. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. See you again next time. Game on. Game on.